The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone is Andrew Warren, and he is the state attorney down in Florida that is suing Governor Ron DeSantis. Good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Um, in, in some ways, I find... Um, coincidence in in how this is relevant to our previous conversation on the show but one of the things that we were talking about on the show is the trump lawsuit in new york um and the fact that you know there's a 250 million dollar uh number here in in sort of alleged fraud and it, it just feels to me you as somebody who is in in a position elected position um and judge to you know hand down sentences for for people who are before you and are alleged to have committed crimes and one of the things that Ron DeSantis is complaining about you is that you know lower level offenses you're treating as if they're lower level offenses (laughs) (laughs) um and and I feel like that's relevant here because one of the questions I had for our legal analyst in the last hour is how is it even possible for all of this stuff to be going on and it's not like we didn't know that this stuff was kind of like in the rumor mill about Donald Trump, everybody said this about him. All the people that worked in his company were saying, like, he's a little shady, like, he's pretty shady. All the people in New York said that. But yet, all of these high-level offenses were able to go on, and no prosecutors were jumping in to charge anybody. I mean, as somebody who hands out justice, when you think about how low-level offenses are treated versus, quote-unquote, white-collar crimes, which are just crimes, um, do you think that it's fair? That's actually my first question today. It's just on my mind. Yeah, it's a great question. There is a lot of unfairness in our criminal justice system. You know, there's unfairness in the fact that we tend to put everybody through the same lens of lock them up and throw away the key when obviously there are certain people we need to lock up and throw away the key. And there are other people who get caught up in the system, for example, because they suffer from substance abuse. Uh, or mental health issues, or there's the criminalization of poverty that goes on in this country. So to start with, we have to treat different people differently in the system based on the threat they are to our community and the hopes that we have so that they can never commit a crime again. You know, again, for some, we lock them up forever. For others, we try to steer them away from the system with rehabilitation and prevention. There's injustice in the system and that different people get treated differently out there. I mean, why is it sometimes that you see someone who steals, you know, $10 worth of groceries, they Mm -hmm. go to jail, but if you steal 10 millions of $10 million, nothing happens to you. Now I was a federal prosecutor. I spent most of my career as a federal prosecutor prosecuting people who, who stole tens of millions of dollars. And let me tell you this, we didn't let them get away with it. I mean, we put them in prison for long periods of time, but there are certainly these, you know, these disparities in the system 
racial disparities that we see, sentencing disparities mm -hmm. we see, injustice that we see. We do have the best criminal justice system in the history of the world, but there's still a lot of room for improvement. And that's <laughs> what I was setting out to do as a prosecutor and as the elected district attorney. Thank you for, for engaging in that question. I mean, I, I just think it was, it was unique that we happened to have you here and you are actually a judge. And I just think that I think a lot about that as we are living through, obviously, the fallout um, of all of these cases swirling the, um, around the former president um, and the fact that, you know, they're very complicated. And I know that it's hard to sort of figure out all the math on the business records, but I feel like you know, they can do it. They have the people <laughs> on staff that could probably figure it out. So prosecution, um, you know, move forward, stop hand wringing, just go forward with it and try to, you know, utilize the evidence that you have is, is all I'm saying. Because um, it feels to me like, you know, if Eric Garner is not here because of loose cigarettes, untaxed cigarettes, um, a company that is alleged to have committed $250 million of dollars of fraud against the state of New York, I don't know. I just feel like severe consequences. Um, well, right. I mean, accountability look, is it, necessary in that case. Yeah. Like I, I've spent most of my career as a prosecutor and the reality is that there are politicians out there abusing powers for political gain. Mm -hmm. And some of them are actually violating the law, not just pulling political stunts, but actually breaking the law. And we can't let people get away with that just because mm -hmm. they're popular, they're an elected official or because of this or that. I mean, if you believe in the rule of law, if you believe in our constitution, if you believe that there's equal justice under the law, then you have to do what's right. It doesn't mean you can believe in the rule of law some of the time or when it's convenient. It doesn't mean that you can go and attack, you know, certain people for, you know, stealing or uh, taking classified material and putting out there, which happened under the Trump administration. But then when Donald Trump does it, you turn a blind eye to it. That is not consistent support mm -hmm. for the rule of law. That's just partisanship. And that's something that undermines the values of our country. You already, so you referenced uh, folks that are popular on the Republican side right now. So I want to talk about what hap what's happening to you. Ron DeSantis wants to run for president. Um, a lot of the things that he's doing, including, you know, sending migrants um, to other states under false pretenses, things like that, are happening under sort of this umbrella of I want to run for president and I am doing these this list of things. One of the things he's he did is he punished you. What did he punish you for? Tell us what happened. Um, well, just you asking the question brought out the frustration in my dog. You can hear in the background there. He, <laughs> we the love mascot. dogs. I love dog cameos. They're my favorite. <laughs> yeah, he's he's become the mascot here for our fight to defend democracy. Uh, what happened? Dogs is that know. The, he, oh, he does. He can hear it in the the tone of the question. Um, uh, so, Governor DeSantis suspended me for speaking out in favor of abortion rights and standing up for transgender Floridians, and. He basically said that, you know, now you're suspended as the state attorney. And so we sued him. You know, you can't just throw out the votes of 370,000 Floridians who voted for me. You can't just deny the 1.5 million people who live in my jurisdiction, the elected official who they chose. That is something that is so undemocratic. So we're not fighting just for my, to get my job back. We're really fighting about the integrity of our elections in the state of Florida and about democracy itself, our democracy. 
So in terms of the lawsuit that you filed against the, the governor, um, you actually are in a place now where you got a positive ruling and you're going to go forward with a trial. So tell us, tell us about the next steps in the case. Um, because it just feels to me that this is really unprecedented and a scary precedent, right? Because you don't want somebody who is in a position of power like a governor to punish a judge <laughs> for, you know, a, a, perceived a, pros- politi- a prosecutor, a prosecutor, excuse yeah. me, a prosecutor for, for, um, a state's attorney, excuse me, um, for, for perceived political insult. Right. He's like mad at you because of a political reason and he's punishing right. you, utilizing the levers of his government power. Well, that's exactly what the judge said. So uh, this week we were in court for a hearing on this uh, on Monday and the governor was trying to get the lawsuit thrown out. He was saying that, you know, I worked for him and he's allowed to suspend me <clears throat> because he disagrees with the things that I've said. But um, Monday's ruling was a victory for the truth. A federal judge ruled that the governor has to come into court and explain how my suspension didn't break the law. The federal judge has told the governor he has to come in and show that it wasn't political. It didn't violate my First Amendment rights. It didn't violate the voters' rights to have the state attorney they elected. And and we agree 100% with that decision. Now you have the governor having to answer to a court of law where facts matter. And this is the important piece. This is not a campaign rally where you can stand up and say whatever you want. This is not Fox News where you can stand up and say whatever you want, disconnected from the truth. This is a court of law where the facts matter and where the truth matters. And now the governor is going to have to come in and explain himself to prove in a court of law that this wasn't some lawless political stunt. Do you think that stunts like these, um, if if there is, so say this stunt against a state attorney by the governor say you go forward with this process, but, you know, he ends up basically unscathed and he's now more popular with the Republican base. I don't know. I'll just lay out the scenario based on what's happened to Donald Trump in the past. Maybe he'll have that same luck. Um, do you think that's a threat to American democracy? I mean, does is is that evidence that the rule of law is not intact? It, it is, unfortunately. Now, I do think that the vast majority of Floridians, the vast majority of Americans really do believe in the fundamental values of our country. And that's been encouraging for me as I've gone through this over the past month or so, that so many people, regardless of what party they belong to or who they even voted for, know that what happened to me with this suspension violates the sacred trust of our democracy because no elected official has the right to throw out your vote, right? Now, it doesn't matter if you're the governor, the president, whoever, you you can't silence the vote of the people. You can't steal their vote. And if we let elected officials at any level get away with it, what's left of our democracy? It's a really important point. I mean, what, well, what is left of our democracy? Do we, do you even get to call it that? If you don't have the rule of law, do you, should you be calling it a democracy? Because it feels to me that part of what um, the, th- the through line here is the, thor- the authoritarianism of it all, right? I think what, what the governor has done to you is something that we hear about in places where they don't call their governments a democracy. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, they try to call their governments a democracy, right? I mean, the <laughs> idea that th- this is what's at stake in Florida. If, if we let this happen, And again, it shouldn't matter if you're a Republican, Democrat, independent, because too many people, unfortunately, look at this through that partisan lens. They see a Republican governor 
a Democratic state attorney, and they just kind of side with their party rather than recognizing the threat that this poses, because no one should be able to overturn an election and throw out the votes of the voters. What happens if we allow this to stand? It means that the governor, whether it's this governor or the next governor from either party, can throw out the winner of an election and replace that person with the loser of the election based on something that the person said they were going to do, based on politics. And so, you know, you're talking about in other countries that that's like Venezuelan democracy, right? Or mm -hmm. Russian democracy or Chinese democracy where, well, we, you won the election, but you didn't really win now. So you're, you're gone because, you know, we're taking that away from it. That's not the way America works. I mean, even my eight-year-old understands that. The people elect their leaders. And so overturning the results of a fair and free election erode the very framework of our democracy. So one of the things that people should also know about you is that you're, it's not just like Ron DeSantis picked a random state attorney. Like he doesn't like you um, for, for reasons. I mean, I think that there are things that you have done in your position as, as state attorney um, that have maybe upset him a little bit. One of them is actually related to the coronavirus pandemic. And I want to talk a bit about that because one of the things that actually frustrates me is that he's sort of skating by as like, why well, did good on the pandemic? And I'm like, what? When I look at the numbers in Florida, I do not see that when I look at the graph. But he's he sort of skated. He put somebody, obviously, as your Surgeon General, who is also a Harvard doctor, but anti-science. So you're in a pickle. But one of the things that um, you did was there was a mega church pastor down there. I remember this from way back in the beginning of the pandemic when mega right. churches were having churches were having were having services, excuse me, in person. And, you know, that was very dangerous at the beginning of the pandemic. And that was one of your big um, cases that, you know, put you on the radar or I guess made you a target of the governor. Can you talk a bit about that? And, you know, why you why do you think the governor's targeting you? Is it is it because of things like this? Well, uh, let's start with that case. I mean, this was, you're right, it was back in the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. And we had a, a church pastor here who was just violating, um, you know, state and local ordinances about, um, regarding the pandemic and basically held a packed service while the pandemic was, you know, uh, at its worst and, you know, escalating. And our local law enforcement, uh, you know, our local sheriff and I talked about it and decided that arresting the pastor was the, the appropriate move because the pastor just said, I'm not going to follow the law. Again, we talked about a few minutes ago, you know, how can you be for the, the rule of law when you only need to follow it some of the time, when you only want to follow it when it's convenient. So we ended up arresting and charging the pastor and he ended up, you know, we basically worked out an agreement with him where he was going to stop violating the law, which was what we wanted so that people could be as safe as we had the knowledge of at the time. But the governor intervened. He criticized me. He signed an executive order that retroactively, you know, authorized the pastor to do what he did. And that was just one of several things, several run-ins that we've had. Um, he signed a law in Florida, uh, which was, he called the anti-riding bill, um, it was really an anti-protest bill that I spoke out against, um, you know, that's been 
found unconstitutional in the courts because it it violated people's First Amendment rights. Um, you know, the governor and I, the governor and I clashed about what was called Amendment Four in Florida, which restored the rights to you know returning citizens who have paid all their debt to society. Um, there are questions about that. So uh, you ask whether this is political and what's going through the governor's head. I, I can't answer that. What I can tell you is that the judge certainly has some concerns that mm -hmm. this was political. And that's why Ron DeSantis is now the defendant in a federal lawsuit having to come into court and explain whether or not and how he didn't violate the rights of 1.5 million Floridians. I mean, it, it, it seems significant to me that he uh, singled you out <laughs> in this way because of, of your um, record of specific examples of standing up to some of the things he was doing um, in the pandemic um, during the beginning of the pandemic, as we just discussed, but also during the racial reckoning um, and with Black Lives Matter protesters. I mean, one of the things I think a lot about is the fact that, you know, the people that stormed the Capitol, yes, a lot of them, many of them are being prosecuted and incarcerated and punished very severely for, for the attack on the Capitol. But Black Lives Matter protesters, I know a lot of them that were charged with very serious felonies who, like, didn't do anything. <laughs> they, they just were at a peaceful protest and were arrested in that context. I mean, can you talk a bit about... You're a prosecutor. So you're the person who gets to decide who to prosecute. Why? I mean, you can't be in the mind of another prosecutor. But why is it that we have a system in which, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana... Black Lives Matter prosecutors are charged with the most serious felonies for peaceful pro peacefully protesting. Um, and insurrectionists, some insurrectionists are not. It's a really good question. And, and I wish that I could answer, you know, that broadly. The reality is that a prosecutor is supposed to look at the facts and the law in every case and the evidence. And that's what we've done in my office. That's always been the policy. And so when we had we had protests here after George Floyd's murder, we had some we had some riots here. We had people breaking the law, clearly. And there was a lot of confusion in that and who did what in law enforcement trying to do the best they can often in very mm -hmm. difficult and chaotic situations to distinguish between you know if you have a hundred or 500 people together who's standing there shouting exercising their first amendment and who's smashing the car window mm -hmm. which is clearly a crime so what we did is when we had evidence that people committed crimes we prosecuted them and we prosecuted some 150 people for felonies for you know looting and violence and rioting and then we had situations where there was no evidence that anyone committed a crime, except they were just out in an area where maybe someone else had committed a crime, but they were protesting. And, and to us, those the evidence shows that those people were peacefully protesting and we didn't prosecute them. And that's how you have to draw the distinction. Mm -hmm. it, uh, you know, whether people were willing to do that, to do that really difficult work, again, difficult for law enforcement and difficult for prosecutors. To make that to make those distinctions in other places I can't comment on, but I can tell you here, you know, we really did we got it right for the most part. Based on all the evidence we had, we got it right. We were able to distinguish between peaceful protesters and people who were breaking the law. Do you think that our democracy can 
stay together, like stay intact because I feel like there are so many different legal there's there are so many different moments where I'm like I don't know if the rule of law is intact like I know that there are prosecutors that um you know are following the law and applying the law to the facts I know that but I also see the prosecutors that aren't and I also see a lot of people getting away with a lot and I think a lot of black and brown folks out there are quite frustrated um, by the fact that, you know, even the fact that Ron DeSantis put people, not I don't even like to call them migrants, put people on a bus, um, you know, on airplanes, sent them all the way up here, um, not up here, even further than me because I'm in D.C., but all the way to Massachusetts under false pretenses. And like, what, does he just get to show up tomorrow and still be the governor? I I feel like there there are some really it's a frustrating thing to watch it as a citizen knowing the disparities between how people who you know rob the drugstore or have a counterfeit $20 bill in the Topps grocery versus someone who has a position of power and influence that can put human beings on a on a bus and send them away under false pretenses when, you know, a low level person would be charged probably with some form of human trafficking. Well, look, the governor's made headlines repeatedly for several recent controversies and you have lots of outside observers and legal experts Mm -hmm. saying that, you know, these political stunts may be illegal. And apparently now there's a criminal investigation into DeSantis having, you know, lured the migrants and transported them perhaps against their will to Martha's Vineyard. You know, I, I don't, I can't affect any of those things and mm-hmm. I don't know all the facts of it. So it's, I won't speculate about the legality of it. But what I can do is hold the governor accountable for this. I mean, this is why we took him to court. And now he's going to have to convince a court of law that my suspension didn't break the law and wasn't some political stunt. But the, the larger question you ask is so important. You know, what do we do at a time? And can we have faith in our democracy when people are violating the rule of law and not being held accountable for it? Well, there are two things. One is we hold them accountable. That's what we're doing. We have to hold people accountable, regardless of who they are, how popular they are, what position they hold or they've held. The other thing is when you talk about, you know, democracy, the values of our democracy and our commitment to the rule of law isn't just something that exists on paper. It lives and breathes inside all of us. And we need to dig deep down to find that and to be willing to put aside partisanship just because we like the team that the guy's on Mm -hmm. and instead really think about, is this what we want to teach our kids is the meaning of our country that certain people get to do whatever they want, or are we all going to be public servants who are compassionate and empathetic and trying to solve problems and trying to move this country forward in an effective way, despite our policy differences. That is the, that is America. And that's why it's so important that, again, we dig deep down and search for those values at a time when our politics divide us so frequently. Andrew Warren, it's been really great to have you. I'm, I really appreciate you for taking the time to have this conversation with me. And I, you know, I threw some questions at, at you that were just related to the news. And so thank you so much for um, allowing me to do that and to have a conversation that was just related to the news of day even. 
um, but also some of these larger philosophical questions. And that is a state attorney. I think it's important for us. I mean, you're elected by the people in Florida. So it's important for us to hear from the people who have power um, uh, about how they're looking at the, the developments and the importance of the rule of law in this particular moment when it's under threat. So thank you so much for being here this morning, Andrew Warren, 13th Judicial Circuit State Attorney. I really appreciate you being here this morning. Please stay safe. Thanks so much. You too. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlinette. Check in for new episodes every weekday.